0: Hi everyone, this is Artie from the human chapters um, I'll give you a bit of an introduction about human chapters. Humans are living narratives with the past, present and future. These narratives constitute of a number of chapters across a lifespan. The aim of these conversations is to highlight a chapter of the narrative and unpack its connections to other chapters. I don't care whether people are natural storytellers, but I truly do believe that every single one of us has a story to tell. I'll do an acknowledgement to country. We acknowledge the traditional owners of the land which now comprises Greater Shepparton. We pay respect to their tribal elders, past and present and emerging. We celebrate their continuing culture and we acknowledge the memory of their ancestors. And today I'd love to welcome Deb, and Deb's chapter is autism. Go for it, Deb.
1: Thank you. Thanks, Artie. Um, So hi, everyone. My name is Deb. Um, I I was diagnosed with autism two years ago, but um, obviously as it's a neurological difference, like a different sort of brain type, I... Did not just develop it in the last two years I've had autism all my life um I'm 44 and I have two kids and yeah and um I talk a lot about um autism in my on my social media and I uh I've just started to get a little bit of um get some work published and um yeah so lots lots of stuff going on.
0: Beautiful. Um, Deb, tell me, how did you diagnose or why did you get a later diagnosis for autism?
1: Um, I think this is common for a lot of women on the autism spectrum is that for some reason, well, there's a lot of reasons. Um, I think it's kind of the way our society, the patriarchy is um is set up is that women tend to be the nurturers the um the caregivers the ones who take you know even even from an early age the ones who take the emotional temperature of the room see how everyone's going and um and try and adapt to that um so I certainly from a young age um Cha- would change my behaviour to, um, to fit the situation or what I thought would be appropriate for that situation. Um, whereas typically <clears throat> in, uh, in boys and men, it can present a lot differently. Um, but then there's no hard and fast rules when it comes to people because um, the minute you start to make a generalisation, you kind of leave people out. Um, but yeah, I think and, and in the autism community, we call that masking. So it is uh, strategies that we would use to seem neurotypical, um, like scripts we might have learned um, on, you know, social behavior like if someone asked how are you, then, um, often they just want to hear, I'm good, how are you? Um, but then that might, you know, sometimes that might be different depending on your relationship. Um, as an autistic person, I like when things follow patterns. I like it when people are um, predictable, but then I'm extremely unpredictable myself so, so it can be quite difficult, um, but yeah, I think one of the things that I struggle with is just a, a lot of intense feeling um, all the time. It can be really hard to figure out why and what it is, and um, and ways to channel that um, positively. Yeah, and
0: um, those intense feelings you're talking about, what?
1: What do they feel like in your body, or like? Yeah, how would you? So, start- so um, at at their worst, they can feel like intense physical pain. Um, yeah, I've had a bit of a, a bit of a hard week with with just some personal challenges, and um, so. You know, um, because I'm a mum, there's just lots of stuff going on with my kids. Um, I just kind of have to keep on going and I just know that there's this intensity in my brain and in my body, but I can't access what it is or why it is um, because I have to sort of, um, you know, cook dinner and... uh, and take my kids' places and take them to appointments and talk to people about what's happening in their lives and in my life. Um, But what typically happens is that they will, um, my kids go to my ex-husband and um, there's a meme about autism where it says, um, brain, brain, feel this feeling. And me, what feeling? And the brain says feelings, big feelings. And you're like, can you be more specific? And the brain says, feel this feeling. And that's really what it's like sometimes. Um, so yesterday, I knew that I had to rest um, because I was in a lot of pain, like a lot of physical joint pain, um, and a lot of um, a lot of autistic women in particular i can end up with a chronic pain condition called fibromyalgia because our, it's a it's really a brain emotion pain that manifests as chronic physical pain so yeah yesterday i had plans to catch up with a friend but i just thought i can't do that i can't be around people because um i know that i'm feeling really intensely and uh, i guess i want to kind of protect people and myself from reacting in a way that might not be socially appropriate um and it's hard because I want to you know I want to connect with people I want to have a normal social life um but I know that I just have to kind of um isolate a little bit in order to just process things physically so yesterday I just rested a lot and uh And that was hard because I find it hard to look after myself, you know, sometimes I think, well, you're just lying here. You're not doing anything. What's wrong with you? But I've learned to kind of try and talk to myself, um, have a self-talk that's a lot nicer, just sort of saying, look, you're doing a really good job. You had a really hard week. It's going to be okay. Um, And then this morning right on time um because I've had time away from people and around you know where I've really been able to control um what's happening in a sensory way um all of a sudden I'm beginning to be able to make sense with of of these feelings and understand that it's you know it's um it's loneliness um it's, you know, it's a need for connection, um. But I can't actually connect with people until I process these things, and that's what um. That's what a lot of uh, autistic people struggle with: is processing information and uh, dealing with it in an appropriate way. And I cry a lot whenever I talk about my feelings, and that's not. know a sign that i'm having a nervous breakdown or anything it's just a sign that um you know my feelings are coming out um i think i've done imaging of of autistic brains and shown that um you know in the in the processing area we just get overloaded so um everything's amplified every bit of information i receive Orally, um, visually, you know, in all of the different, in all of the senses, it's amplified, and it's hard for me to make sense of what I'm seeing. And I like my brain likes patterns, and there just aren't patterns, um, especially when you're dealing with children. You know, um, both of them have been have been finding um, COVID hard, and um, and so have I. So it's just all of these feelings, you know, and uh, and I can get really paranoid when I'm when I'm in this stage of processing where I'm like, I'm never going to feel part of things again, or you know, my friends all hate me because um, I guess in the past I've had experiences and social experiences, especially as a teenager, where um, my my quiet, my quietness, my need to understand things has, or you know, just not understanding the joke, um, has meant that I've been excluded from parties or that people have said I was weird, and um, and so I just, and I I see that in my kids as well. They can be really scared that their friends, you know, my gorgeous little six year old, she can. Really, you know, she can just sob her heart out if her um, best friend's not, because they talk via messenger, kids messenger. If her friend's not available, even if she might have talked to her for hours and hours the previous day, she'll just be like, she'll she'll sob her heart out for you know maybe an hour and say, oh, she's forgotten me, she doesn't care about me, and um, and I just think, oh. I know that feeling, you know. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I know that feeling. Um, But I guess, you know, I've learned that um, my feelings and my thoughts are not always fact um, and that whilst I might not always like the way that I need extra time and extra space, it's just a fact. It's just a fact and it's just the way I am. And if I try and, you know, I used to just power power on and used to just, you know, I'd go to the gym, I'd be doing everything. I'd just be really, you know, on all the time and I couldn't sustain it and I would, um, I would end up having a meltdown. And I like to try and prevent myself from having meltdowns these days. Um, and I knew I wanted to do... This um this human chapter this morning, but at the same time I was like, I don't want to do it. What if everyone thinks I'm idiot? You know, there's always this um, harsh inner critic. Um, But I've learned to sort of deal with her and go, well, no, you know, Artie's a lovely person. You know, she's not gonna be like, oh, why do you do that? You know, or anything like that and uh and anyone who has autism will understand what you're talking about and anyone who doesn't um look you know the reason i talk about autism is because it's been such you know it's really hard and a lot of the ways i behave don't make a lot of sense unless you view them through a lens of um a neurological um not disorder but a different neurological subtype, you know. So if I keep in mind that my brain is different and that I just can't, you know, I look at, and that's, yeah, that's sometimes one of the things I struggle with when I'm um, withdrawing from things to process, mm. I can... Um, obsess over things on social media and be like well look at that person they're doing that why can't I do that why is my house a mess why can't I do that and uh yeah and then again it's down to the part of like just be kind to yourself yeah it's it's hard I think everyone finds that hard but I think that intensity of feeling makes it even harder sometimes
0: yeah oh Deb so I just want to reassure you and tell you I don't have a diagnosis of autism but I am equally a weirdo no well not <laughs> but yeah I've I've embraced that and gone you know what people people I truly do believe people are going to think what they're going to think anyway and that's regardless sometimes it's regardless of how good a person you are or what their perception is and at the end of the day it's just it's it's their perception and yeah okay yeah thank you so no you I've known you for quite some time now since last year and I just, yeah, to be <clears throat> quite honest, I would love to have more chats and go, so what is this like? And just berate you with a lot of questions. Um, <laughs> yeah, And so I absolutely welcome this opportunity to ask them openly and honestly. And yeah, it was so nice to learn a little bit about how, how difficult these situations are, you know, that we might take for granted but this year has been really unique in that I think every like people have had big feelings and not knowing what's happening from day to day, which has caused those big feelings. So I can only imagine, yeah, what other people and how they're experiencing it.
1: Yeah, yeah. And uh, yeah, it, it has. It's been really hard because... um I've got a lot of, you know, I've got uh, friends and family in Melbourne I haven't seen for a long time. And um, I just, my mum and dad live in Albury and I would love to go over and see them, but the borders aren't open. Um, And, yeah, it's it's just really difficult. It is, and it's been a hard year for everybody. I think uh, when we're in our, yeah, when we're in our own little bubble, we can feel like, you know, and that's where social media is hard because we can look at it and think, well, look at all these people, uh, but then we're comparing, well, I'm comparing my insides to their outsides and who knows, you know, maybe if I put some makeup on and, when outside then I could I could take a good you know I take take a good picture. Uh, one of the one of the other things that I found um, really challenging is that uh, I do know. I think um, so a week ago um, eighteen months ago I'd done a um, a story about Parents Next program and how I had to um, get, um, I had to go through this educational program in order to get the single parent pension because my daughter was getting to an age where I was gonna, at six, you're supposed to be either studying, when your youngest child's six, if you get the single parent pension, you have to either be studying or working um, in order to get assistance. Uh, so it was really, I had a lot of fear around uh, going back into a work environment and even having that confidence um, because, you know, my daughter has some um, intense needs that I look after. And uh, just the idea of having to combine that with working was was really full on. So... Um, yeah, I, I did an interview about that just for ABC Radio, and then last week um, I got a phone call from a producer for the Seven Thirty Report just saying, "Hi, um, we hear that you're from Shepparton. There's more cases." And I just—I um, hadn't talked to anyone on the phone in a long time, and I, I struggle with phone calls, but this one was really lovely, and so I just kept talking about my life and, and she was like wow I love the way that you're articulating things and I'm a producer and you've made great tv and I was like wow this is like uh, this is one of my dreams come true um all the times I've ever stood in the shower and had and, and imagined being interviewed you know so jab what it was what was it like when you went through the pandemic well I'm glad you asked you know uh, um uh yeah just thinking oh I'm going to be famous so uh I didn't even really think that I was just excited about someone and the, yeah so they said they were going to send a, pro- a producer down to to film me and I was like wow that'll be great um yeah and on unfortunately um I didn't really think about the impact that would have on my daughter and it really frightened her, but she couldn't articulate that at the time, Um, I guess because I don't really have people over to the house because she doesn't like it and, you know, I'm kind of her safe space where she can process her feelings and she has you know, complete access to me all the time. I, I was so excited about, you know, just having an adult conversation that I didn't think, I didn't even think that it would impact her. And um, I asked my son if he wanted to be involved with it and he said, no, which is fair enough. And I'm always glad when my kids say no to me because it means that they are comfortable in setting their own boundaries um and they're not just going to do what i want them to because they want to be seen as good which is my stuff you know um so yeah she has had a really hard week and i didn't know what was going on and uh and then finally after about a week of really challenging behavior she said i didn't like it when the man came to our house (laughs) and Um, yeah, it was really hard. It was really hard because I, you know, I absolutely don't, um, I don't resent her for that. I understand it. I understand it because there's lots of times when something has happened to me, and I haven't been able to verbalise, but then say a week later, once I've processed it, I've said I didn't like that. And people have been like, but you seemed to be fine with it. Like if you look at the bit on the 7.30 report, she was, you know, she was performing for the camera. She was so happy. But it's, it's just a testament to the fact that we can put on our socially acceptable behaviour. But a, but at great cost sometimes. Um, yeah, and so, I mean, I should have, I should have known that that change is hard. You know, change is hard for us. But I just thought, I thought she would like being on TV, and I, th- I think she, I think she did like being on TV, but she didn't like someone being at our house, and uh, <clears throat> and it was only sort of talking, th- talking it through with, um, with a friend of mine who also has a child with special needs and she said, do you think Steph might've been upset by the cameraman or the person coming to your house? And I was like, Oh gosh, I hadn't even thought about that. Cause she, she seemed to be so happy. But yeah. And I asked her, she said, yes, I did. Like, I don't want him to come to my house ever again. And then, um, and then I can be really hard on myself you know, and just think, gosh, I'm, um, I don't know.
0: And yet, as you're talking about that particular social situation of um, being interviewed by, you know, a reporter and the different elements within that one situation, a, per- a new person coming in, asking questions, having, um you know, and, and a different setup as well, like for the telly, just trying to think, put those um, elements in perspective and go, it is actually really difficult for someone that isn't used to, and it could be anyone that isn't used to a drastic change, but for us it might be, oh yeah, okay, cool, come in. And we might sort of just not, I think yeah, that processing time is probably less, and so you just it's it's quicker. And we go, oh yeah, okay, this is all fine, but we don't realize how many different elements there are in one situation that can impact yeah. another person. And that's really thank you for bringing that to light because that's it's it's beneficial for everyone to actually maybe even have a look at it. Um, you know, why do people like the way they do or behave the way they do? And a lot of the times there's a strong, they're trying to communicate something. It's, yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah. Um, and, um, yeah, so, so that's, I mean, it was, I have a real, Um, tendency to sort of be black and white in my thinking as well um then I went to a talk by Tony Atwood who um, does a lot of stuff around autism in females and he said that um in adolescence a lot of autistic teenagers will um form this negative filter around themselves and it will be very powerful and it will be they'll become very attached to this negative filter, or, or or the fact that they're wrong, or stupid, or bad, or weird, and and that they won't really want to let it go. And he said, uh, "What what forms this filter is is not parents. It's not the education. It's just peer, um, peer interactions." And I, when I heard that, it just spoke to the heart of my experience. Um, in school and also up till this point, because um, because children can be so unkind to each other. Um, and as an autistic person, you're just a little bit different. And um, and that's like dog how dogs can smell fear. Um, yeah. Children can tell the children who, who aren't quite on the same page who don't quite belong who are weird and the worst thing you can be as a child is weird because uh because you're set apart and uh yeah i saw i i had to leave the um the talk because i was just so overcome with emotion because it it just spoke to the fact that I've thought of myself as bad or wrong for all of my life, and I never knew why. And I was quite attached to this idea that I was wrong. Um, so, so yeah, when something like that happens with my daughter, I can become very attached to the idea that I'm wrong or bad or that, you know, I'm just not a very good mother, that I should have known that that would happen. So, yeah, um, as with a lot of autistic um, females or, you know, teenagers, I was bullied a lot. I'm very tall. I'm um, just under six foot, so I was, and I've got naturally red curly hair and I like big words so that's pretty much a formula for a lot of teasing um i got called um Ronald mcdonald uh afro um yeah fat that's always one that uh that hurts a lot because i guess we live in a society where you know being overweight or taking up space um is is a real insult you know uh a lot of women see themselves as fat or you know when when they may not be fat has become a word to to denote um social unacceptability or you know a negative self-concept when it's actually not a moral judgment you know fat is not a moral judgment it's just it's just a fact you might have But it it has become such a, yeah, such a moral judgment. Um, And are you being good? Are you eating the right food? All that sort of stuff. Don't get me started on that. But, yeah, so I I got teased a lot. Um, I always felt very, you know, if I opened my mouth that I would say the wrong thing. Um, So that was when I, I discovered alcohol was about, 17 year old and that was a way for me to just stop feeling everything so very deeply and stop uh judging myself and just really let um just anesthetize all these feelings and just try and be social yeah yeah and um deb
0: just um sort of when when you said that you got bullied did it wor- like did it become worse as the years went by like from if you're thinking about primary school through to secondary school did it just keep escalating or
1: um i think um my parents moved we moved when i was 11 and um i don't know if that would have Been a hard year for me anyway. The uh, year seven, I was already, you know, puberty is really, um, I can remember feeling very disappointed in my body for betraying me, you know, for all these changes that were happening, like pimples or um, suddenly body odor. Um, I also developed boobs really early, so I was teased a lot that i can remember yeah so i think in a sense um once puberty happens yeah i can remember being 10 years old and uh and i wanted to play netball because i liked it
0: mm-hmm.
1: but the i wasn't very coordinated and the uh the netball team that i joined they kept they called me big tips and Oh, they'd be like, oh catch the ball, big tits. And um God, it made me so repulsed by my own body. Um yeah, it was really and and to someone else that may not have they would have been like, oh well, just shrug it off and laugh at it. But I couldn't. It was it just uh yeah, it was just so awful and um I used to actually fantasize about going on TV so that I could and and like um, I'd be on I'd be on TV I'd be famous and then they would want to be my friend so that was the that was the solution for everything as a teenager to be famous and so I think I think even maybe some of that was tied up in the idea of like someone wants to interview me Some oh wow people are going to take notice and um I mean, they did, you know, my, my friends were all very lovely about it, but it was, um, to get it in perspective. It's not like I have my own chat show now. (laughs) It was, um, it was, it was amazing. Um, but it was like five seconds or five minutes maybe. Um, and it didn't really change anything in my life. So in fact, it made, my week worse because I was also very stressed out about how I was going to look. You know, I'm, oh, I was trying to cover up. I was thinking I'll cover up because I one of my most hated body parts that I'm coming to terms with is my arms. They've always been, you know, a little bit bigger. So I was like, well, what am I going to do? It was a hot day. Am I going to cover up my arms? What am I going to do? Am I going to be upset because I see my arms? And oh gosh you know, this obsessive thinking, ah, my arms, my arms, what am I going to do? And so I actually made, you know, I'm I'm talking to myself nicely. I'm thinking whatever you wear, you're not going to be 100% happy with how you look on TV. So just wear something that you like and you, you know, just remind yourself that you're not going to suddenly look like a supermodel because sometimes the idea of what I have of what I look like in my head and what I actually look like, um, if I see a, you know, a video or a picture of myself and it doesn't look like me to me, the idea of me that I have in my head, I can get really distressed by that because I'm like, is that really me? That's not how I feel that I look in my head. Um, yeah. So, so I had to sort of talk to myself, oh, well, no, it's all right. You've made this choice to go on TV and you can't suddenly, you know, whip out the vacuum cleaner and do arm um, liposuction or anything like that. So just, you know, be kind to yourself and and they're not talking to you because, and they're they a bit thinner that I would have been absolutely destroyed by years ago. Like, um, yeah, yeah some of the camera angles I would have really gone to town on myself about. I would have been like, Oh my God, how can I walk around looking like that? (laughs) You know, but, um, yeah. And so, so there's that too, you know, just risking being visible is a big deal sometimes. Um, especially when I'm talking about autism, um, and I mean, it's something that I've devoted my life to for the past at least um, six years. When my so- my son was diagnosed with it in two thousand and fourteen, and that was the year my daughter was born as well. So um, I've been learning about it for a long time, but you know, I don't have any formal qualifications in that area. Not like no, and I think I'm reasonably good at articulating some of the things and uh writing about it but then uh then I can like compare myself to other autism advocates and think gosh what am I even doing talking about this um but yeah that's just another aspect of my not so nice brain sometimes I have to really temper it and say look just you're talking about your experience so that can never be wrong
0: that's it. Your your experience and your family's experience.
1: Yeah,
0: yeah. Um, Deb, I was going to ask you. Sorry, um, taking you a few steps back. You mentioned yep. today, in particular, this morning was quite difficult, and um, you were you've been preventing meltdowns. Um, what does a meltdown
1: in an adult, like, so for yourself, what does it look like? Yeah, okay. <clears throat> um, so there are three types of ways that people, autistic people will have meltdowns. They will fight, flight or freeze. So you either become very angry and attack people or you just nope out of the situation or you just freeze and you you just can't say anything i've got friends who do all three um but i unfortunately or i don't know i i fight uh and uh the way that that is triggered is that i will get too much sensory information happen and um it's really easy to, to be in that place with um, with kids because there's lots of noise, um, lots of information. You know, I think a lot of even neurotypical people struggle with all of the information and forms and bits of paper that you have to, you know, keep track of uh, as a parent. Pardon me. So, um, so it would just be... I haven't had a chance to process all of this information. So there's information coming in visually, um, you know, orally, um, uh, so I'm reading things and processing them. Um, uh, for instance, I know that (laughs) this is a weird one. Well, a good one. Um, when I I know that when I'm overwhelmed in a sensory way I can't wear certain fabrics because uh they will just feel you know if something is slightly scratchy yeah if it has a, a thread in it that I uh, I feel you know that will contribute to a sense of overwhelm and um sensory overload and uh so yeah and then because I have a chronic pain condition. If I'm in any sort of chronic pain and then I've got stuff on top of that, then it's really just um, building up and building up until I get to a point where someone will say something that to them will be completely unrelated to what I'm going through. Um, The most recent meltdown I had, uh, someone was trying to help, but they said something that triggered my thought that I'm not, you know, not doing a good job as a parent. And I just said, I go red, go red in my neck. Um, I was very angry and I yell and I swear and I, it's a, it's an out of body experience for me. I'm not in control of what's happening. um, it is terrifying. It's really, you know, it, it has destroyed friendships in the past um, because I've I just say every single awful thing I've ever thought about that person, and um, it's really afterwards I feel intense shame uh, and just that I want to you know pull my skin out and you know just blah, I, I just want to disappear just want to disappear um I've learned a, um a lot of strategies over the years for dealing with these meltdowns um I I know that when I'm feeling emotionally low I'm more uh I'm more likely to have a meltdown um which is why I think the, the past 18 hours I've spent away from people because I know that I've been feeling really needy and I know that that's when I need to just show up for myself and really look after myself but it's tedious and it seems to take a long time and I cry I oh I hate crying so much but you know I've had just had to accept and I think um I forget who said it. Someone I, I remember a quote saying, I cry a lot and that's not because I'm weak. It's because I'm paying attention and there is, there's a lot to cry about. And so, you know, it's all right to cry. It's all right. It really is. Um, yeah. And for a lot of years, I just thought of myself as crazy. You know, you're crazy and, um, but I'm not, I'm not crazy. I just have a lot of difficulty with life and I'm not the only one. A lot of us do too, but I guess the other thing is not a lot of people are, well, I'm just honest about the way I feel and what happens for me because well, one because I like talking about myself. Who doesn't? <laughs> but two. <laughs> <you> know, <laughs> but two. If I'd heard someone else talk like this about how they fell in such honesty, then I would have felt like, oh gosh, that's the way I feel. And I guess that's one of the re- one of the reasons why I do that because I, well. I don't know. I just yeah. Just wanna help ed- educate people. There's it's been such a long sort of journey learning so much about myself and and just having these feelings and wanting to not have them. But um but yeah, it, it is very normal. That's I think there's a lot of undiagnosed women out there who have been sort of fobbed off with the idea that they have some sort of generalised anxiety problem or anger issues. And sure, they may have those, but sometimes they're part of autism Um, and it's really largely undiagnosed, particularly um, in women my age. And it's uh, I wouldn't have sought an autism diagnosis for myself. I thought that autism was... I guess if I'm going to be brutally honest, I kind of thought that, you know, stuff like that was kind of made up and that was people just making excuses. Um, that mm, probably not that bad. And that's, yeah, I guess that's why I want to talk about it because I can come across as really, you know, professional and really well-spoken, but it's at a great cost. Yeah. Um, a friend of mine suggested that I go, they, they were doing auditions for Love on the Spectrum and I'm single. One of my friends said, you should do that. And I thought after having this experience of being on um, 7.30 or pop for like five minutes, I was like, no way, no way. It would be, it would take so much processing for me to have, um, I mean, I would love it. On some level I would love to be part of something like that but i would also be really really and i would be really invested in what people thought of me and that's not healthy for my self-esteem i need to just not get it so high you know um because then it will drop down and 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 i need to be able to look after myself and i need to be able to look after my kids and uh if part of that is just not Pursuing things that me that that change our um our household then that's the sacrifice I'm willing to make because I you know I it impacts me as well then when I when I need to look after their needs so yeah
0: um one of the things I wanted to acknowledge you for Deb is when you said to be honest about what you're going through you. We know that we're not. We see it. It feels like we are alone in the world in experiencing what we're experiencing. But as you've been talking, I've been going. My mental um, checklist is going. Yes, yes, that is also correct. That is also correct. Social media. Yes, you look at a picture and for face or just that face value. Oh, everything's a hundred percent. And we know it's not. Um, mm. My brain is going. Yeah, a lot of what you've talked about, you know, even body image issues, um, all of those things I'm going, yep, to some extent I can empathize with you. But if we don't talk about these things, then we seem like we're all alone. But if we start to talk about them, we know that actually there are more people relate to it and connect to it because guess what? It doesn't matter whether you have a diagnosis or not. Lots of people are actually going through these things and talking about it really does help.
1: It does. It does. Um, Even, you know, when I was messaging you this morning and I was thinking, I don't know if I can do this, but I knew that I I would feel better once I got into, you know, and, and a lot of it can be I can't, I can't, I can't. Um, that's why, yeah, it's hard for me to, it's, it's hard for me to know what the right thing is to do because sometimes my brain will say, don't do that. But I know that I know from future, from past experience, I know that sometimes doing things that my brain and body says no to other things that make me feel better. Like all the mental health strategies, like doing, uh, doing energy, doing exercise, um, doing self-care, having a bath, doing some meditation Um, and also, you know, just giving yourself a break because there's so many things that we're supposed to be doing to help ourselves. But sometimes we're not, pardon me, we're not able to do those things and that's okay too. You know, sometimes you, Get to the end of the week, or the start of the week, or at any point throughout the week, and you just feel like I can't do anything. It's all right to just not do anything, and and that is a real that's a real thing in our in our society because our worth is based on what we do, um, and what we achieve. And so, if we're suddenly not doing anything or not achieving anything, do we still have worth? And we do. We definitely do but i think especially as women we are trained it's kind of trained to, to to look after people to make people feel at ease so if we're not performing those functions if we're just and um nearly four months ago i had a hysterectomy and in the recovery after that i felt very depressed because i couldn't do anything yeah. and I realised how much of my self-esteem is tied up in, um, in, in achieving and doing things for people. And um, friends of mine offered to take my son to school and I found it really hard to accept because I didn't know when I would be able to return the favour and I didn't like to think that I was, you know, that I wouldn't be able, that they were just doing a nice thing for me. And uh, I, I saw um, a friend of mine at, at the shops and she said, oh, I've had a, l- a lung infection and I've been lying on the lounge feeling sorry for myself and then getting angry at myself for feeling sorry for myself because I should be more positive and I should be, um, you know, I feel like I should be doing more. And I said, her, isn't it amazing that we give ourselves such a hard time And and I can see why would you be happy and positive about having a lung infection, you know? But um, it's such a thing, you know. When we are um, bodily or physically unable to do things, our mental health will take a decline because. As part of capitalism, we have to consume or produce in order to have worth. And it's just so silly, but it's so real, it's so real. And, yeah, that's another part of having chronic pain. I feel like, oh, maybe if I just thought positive, I could feel better. Well, no, it's a little bit, there's truth in that, sure. But also give yourself permission to feel in pain why do we run away from 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 negative feelings when they're just as you know and and the other thing is that tr- too that it's all right for other people to have emotions and feelings but it's not all right for me and that's how a lot of us feel not just those of us um on the spectrum we we think oh yeah um it's a hard time at the moment you're allowed to struggle
0: but i'm not allowed to struggle
1: you know, and that, that's crazy, it really is.
0: Um, as you're saying that, the I don't know if it's a quote or a saying, treat yourself as you would treat a friend, right? Mm. It's so, yeah, it's, it's okay for everyone else to go through it and we'll support them through it, but when we're going through it, are we supporting ourselves um, mm. in a similar fashion? yeah through it
1: No, probably not because yeah uh, really? raised
0: <laughs> interesting as a human race, <laughs> oh goodness, crazy um Deb, one of my go oh, we will wrap up in a bit, but what did the diagnosis mean for you when you you got that report stating you yeah, have autism spectrum disorder, did it change things for you in a personal way or?
1: Um, yes and no, I guess. Um, yes. <clears throat> and I don't know if it would be different if I was living somewhere like Melbourne where there is more access to people, medical people like specialists who understand that, Um, autism in women looks different because I also had a diagnosis of borderline personality disorder. And especially when I've accessed mental health services here, they don't want to necessarily talk about the fact that I have autism. They would much rather focus on the fact that I have a previous diagnosis of borderline personality disorder, which I really don't. I mean, a lot of the things are um, comorbid, so, there's the commonalities in both of those um, um, conditions. But I don't know. Um, Borderline has a bad rap in, um, in psychology and psychiatry, in just being people who, you know, perhaps are a little bit hysterical. I, I don't know. I've certainly had my share of um, judgment from. Um, clinicians on expressing that i have that diagnosis i it, it hasn't changed a whole lot but it has in some ways um changed a lot because i've become aware that um i need to reduce um the amount of uh you know just really keep it simple keep simple the amount of um tasks that i can that i can do the amount of um information that i can take in uh the amount of socializing that i can do to really be kind to myself and um i don't know i think when there's a lot of sadness involved in in an autism diagnosis because you think oh you poor thing you know, I I just felt so sorry for my my um, child and adolescent self because I struggled so much, but I couldn't put it into words. I didn't have the language to um, to yeah. And and I'm thinking again of Tony Atwood. He says, um, "I don't have the ability." to tease out a thought from the swirling mass inside my brain to examine it and then to interpret it for myself but then put it into language that you will understand. So that is what is happening for any autistic person whenever they communicate with another person. Not only are they, their, their thoughts are a bit you know so they're getting a thought they're going all right this is what i want to express and they are taking in information about you Uh, and that's why a lot of people on the spectrum don't like to make eye contact or have um have learned ways to work around eye contact because when i'm talking to someone uh if i look into their eyes then i will receive a whole bunch of information about that person so when I'm looking at their eyes I notice how are they feeling what are they thinking and it's too overwhelming for me it's so intense eye contact that it cuts out my ability to cognitively process my own emotions yeah. um so when I had the interview I had I asked the guy I said do you mind if I don't look at you when you're asking the questions because it's just too overwhelming. And also I worry, I have real like it really, it makes me incredibly anxious if I accidentally maintain eye contact for too long. Yeah. Um, it really and my my son when he was about eight he said I can't look at people's eyes. And I said, why is that? And he said, because it hurts my heart. And I was like oh gosh, I relate to that. And I've learned to look at people's chin or in between their eyes. And, and sometimes I become really um, distracted by people's faces. Like I'll be sort of looking somewhere else and then I'll be like, oh, look at their earlobe, isn't it? Oh, hang on, get back to the conversation. You know, I'll get really like, oh, oh, what shadow have they got on? Oh, hang on, whoops. You know, separating the person into sort of, yeah, so. I don't, yeah, it's a lot. It's a lot.
0: Absolutely. Thank you so much for... It's been such a wonderful conversation and just getting to know a little bit about what it is like for you personally um, and how when your kids are experiencing it, what, what's happening for you as well. Like such a complex complex um scenario but are there any last words you'd like to for people to take away for people to be mindful of um yeah
1: i guess um try and be gentle to yourself because i think especially as women we know how to be hard on ourselves Mm -hmm. we've learned how to think don't do that don't be that be this be that just let yourself be who you are and easy for me to say that uh, it's harder to do it but yeah I think by and large we all know how to be hard on ourselves but being gentle and kind and loving to ourselves is a skill that a lot of us have to learn ourselves um, not, not because it's particularly anything that our parents have done wrong no it's just not the way the world works. Like I said before, we're we're judged on our ability to achieve and uh, and consume. And so, if we're being kind and gentle to ourselves and self-accepting, then we're not then we're not buying stuff. So we're not of use. It's it's really interesting when you when you have a look at how capitalism and um, advertising feed into our self-image because if we don't yeah if we don't consume then we're not of worth. but we are of worth, just the way we are so and that's a hard that's a very hard thing to put into practice but um but it's something that I'm really trying to work towards Absolutely. and I thank you for letting me chat to you it's always you're always so lovely and warm and I really appreciate it
0: now I I really appreciate it You know, equally, what you have to say and just have... Because any conversation, really, we learn from each other rather than, you know, someone being here and someone being here. And I don't... Yeah, I think everyone has something to teach us. And it's nice to be... It's just wonderful to be able to be open to that experience, learn. Because, to be honest, you never know when it's going to help you out. not you, you, but like just in general, when it's going to help people out in different interactions in situations from a lot of you've said, um, you know, for instance, I've been thinking about, so being a speech and language pathologist, we we work with a lot of, um, you know, children with autism spectrum, dis- or on the autism spectrum disorder, um, their families, things, and, you know, Personally, I know I'm very facially expressive, so they're, they're huge. I will smile, I will laugh, everything. And at the best of times, I go, "No, Adi, don't be doing, don't be doing that. Just, just calm down." <laughs> like <Yeah. laughs> with something like that, you know, from what you're saying, it's so validating to me. Going, okay, don't, don't, don't smile too much, or don't. It's overwhelming. Um, for someone else, or oh, it can be or well
1: it can be, but then sometimes it can be um I know for me and from Steffi um having people who are you know are really enthusiastic and happy to see us is great because we can already feel at times like we're not validated or needed in a situation, so I would say keep on being you keep on being great
0: (laughs) no thank you and absolute honor um to have this conversation and i reckon it might be a wonderful segue into a different conversation as well to you know it could be a different topic within life with autism um we can we'll discuss that after i stopped recording but no thank you so much deb and to whoever watches this please feel free to share it um if it resonates with you share the conversation it might resonate with a lot of people yeah
1: thank you (laughs)
0: thank you and i'll stop